0: Uh, Good morning, everyone. Yes, welcome to the last uh, Sunday School class on uh, church history in Africa. And uh, for the last two weeks, or rather last week, I began looking at uh, the Kenyan situation. and, And now today we want to continue looking at the situation of the church. But so this is not really much of history. This is going to be fairly current, um, looking at the situation around our own country. But first, let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is the Messiah of the nation. <clears throat> We thank you that Christ Jesus is known in this land, that uh, many people would uh, be aware of who he is, and that he is the Savior of sinners, though so many of them have not as yet bowed their knees to him as Lord and as their King. Our prayer is, Lord, we would be used of you to uh, plead with men and uh, to have that great sorrow and unceasing anguish for our own. Fellow citizens, uh, fellow Kenyans, as Paul was to the Israelites. We ask that uh, <clears throat> out of this uh, lesson, we would be better placed in understanding the, the spiritual landscape of our country <clears throat> and not be content with the statistics that are constantly given that Kenya is 80% a Christian nation. When we know very well that uh, even being 20% Christians is a tall order, looking at uh, the ungodliness and the wickedness of men around us, us. we pray that, Lord, you may uh, open up our eyes and give us a new desire to pray and to plead with men, uh, to witness wherever we are. Please bless us, Lord, for we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we are looking at the present status of Christianity in Kenya, and I would be interested to know what is your own assessment of our country uh, when it comes to evangelization of this nation, uh, what really is the situation? The government and uh, the statistics out there uh, are basically very optimistic that Kenya is a is a Christian nation with 80% Christianity. When you go to buy your vegetables or when you go to the grocery shop, uh, when you transact with your M-Pesa agent, uh, when you're walking down the streets of Nairobi, do you feel like you are in a Christian nation? Yes? So what, 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 what are these figures that, that are ever lashed on our faces? What is it that they are talking about? It's very interesting that uh, other religions, when they are, uh, they would want their presence amplified, even exaggerated, but for us, we desire that we did not have such exaggerated uh, statistics. That just shows the contrast between human religion and uh, uh, God's true faith. So I want to know then, when you look at uh, the Christianity in Kenya, where is it the strongest? Where is it the weakest, so to speak? Of course, I'm saying that because uh, I'm asking that question with that caveat because we can only judge uh, by what we see. There is more than what we see. But we just have to be content with considering uh, what we see and make some assessment. Uh, Yes, who would like to respond to that question? Where is Christianity the strongest in Kenya, or the weakest for that matter? As you assess, as you've traveled around the country, where is it the strongest, where is it the weakest? You might need to begin by pointing out what paradigm you're using to make that assessment. Uh, yes, Ben. Wait for the microphone so that we can uh, all hear what you have to say. Yes. I
1: think it's weakest in Mombasa. Okay. Uh, due to the levels
2: of drug use and, uh, um, and um, the spread of Islam.
0: Okay. Okay. So he's saying uh, perhaps Mombasa because of drug and substance abuse, but also the influence of uh, Islam. Um, the, the man who is giving you the microphone can respond to that. Do you think that that's a, that's a, a, a genuine assessment, Henton, since you live in uh, county number one?
2: Yeah, Chris, uh, Islam is more dominant, the coast generally, maybe okay. in Mombasa, uh-huh.
0: It's 50-50. 50-50. Uh, so Ben's assessment is not quite the case then. Okay. Right. Uh-huh. Someone else? Uh, yes, Felix?
2: I think it's weakest in Northeastern because of Islam and the, radical, the way they are radical in Islam. Yeah. Okay, so
0: now this one you mean uh, Garissa, Ogea, Madeira, right? Are you including Tanariva, Lamu?
2: Yeah, I think even those areas that you have mentioned, yeah.
0: Okay.
2: Also, because of the nature of their economic activities like pastoralism, they move a lot. So, uh, mission work there may be a little difficult.
0: Okay. Have you been there?
2: Just passing by. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Uh yes, Suzanne.
0: Uh, how many how many counties have you visited in Kenya?
3: Me. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been to Kisumu County, Nandi County, Embu County, Nakuru County, uh Nairobi, Kajado, Kiambu. Mombasa, Kilifi. So not all of them, but
0: But those are I,
3: but, <laughs> yes, but I was yes, actually that... gonna say Uh-huh. If we're talking about the strength of the Christianity that is extant, yes. not looking at the, the influence of Islam. Yes. I'm actually gonna say Nairobi. Is the weakest. Is, is and it the strong? reason that it's the weakest. Okay. And I say that because of the number of false churches in Nairobi, there are so many people in Nairobi that think they are Christians Mm. and because fully 10% of Kenyan's population lives in Nairobi. So if 80% of Nairobians think they are Christian because they go to a church, but what they really go to is a place that serves them health, wealth, prosperity, pablum, and not actual Christianity, Mm -hmm. then Christianity is actually very weak. Even though people think it's strong.
2: Right. Okay.
0: So, using the number of churches, it may falsely look like uh, Christianity is the strongest in Nairobi, but then you wonder how many of those churches are true churches. Uh huh.
2: What do you think?
0: Where is the Christianity in Kenya the weakest or the strongest? I can, as I wait for some of you to respond, I can tell you that perhaps it's the strongest in Bungoma, where we've had uh, uh, Jehovah come from and uh, prophets and Jesus of Tongaren and all that. What do you think?
2: That's in Bugoma County. Sorry, those of you who are from Bugoma. Yes, where is Christianity the strongest? Where is it the weakest?
0: you
2: don't know uh yes dennis uh, i'm not sure where it is the strongest but just by observation i see uh it's scattered basically in terms of if the f- considering the figures of 80 percent christianity are not true then we can attest that uh, perhaps even less than 20% are those who are Christians. Mm. So I would think there is no one region where Christianity is a stronghold per se, uh, but it's just scattered vastly across the country. They are
1: here and there,
2: just like that.
0: Okay. Um, For the sake of this uh, lesson, we could uh, uh, widen our paradigms and ask where do we have most churches, Uh, hoping that those churches at least talk about Christ and uh, open up the Bible, whereas in places where there are no churches, you're not likely to perhaps hear much of the gospel. So if you, if you use the number of churches, I suppose Nairobi might top that list. Uh, and yet, if you go de- deeper and uh, try to find out what happens within those churches, you might be shocked. And it could be that the churches that are in Garisab, where they are, there might be uh, persecution of some sort, uh, they are pure churches because they must hold uh, to the truth. I don't know. Now, you could also go back to the, uh, how Christianity began and grew in Kenya, uh, the way the, the missionaries came with the gospel to different parts of the country and established missions and churches uh, in different areas. If you look at that, you will find out that uh, uh, the northern part of the country was generally neglected. Uh, there were no churches willing to go to any, any place above uh, or north of Isiolu. Uh, Isiolu, uh, I think, was the cutting line. And uh, uh, you go further, and you would see that uh, there were very few, especially protestant missions in those places. Even the Catholics, those are the areas that they went as the last, you know, the last mile, so to speak. So northern and northeastern Kenya remain the least evangelized areas in Kenya. And we may then ask the question, why was this the case? Why is it that the missionaries were not that interested, it seems, in going to the northern part of the country? Someone had began pointing out the fact that they are pastoralists, um, and especially the aspect of uh, nomadism. They move constantly. Uh, establishing a church in one area would lead to uh, you know the, 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 within a very short period they would move and leave you with your church there and, and hope that they will again pass around after that years. That would not be very useful. So that area was generally neglected because of some of these uh, factors. Number one, there was, or there is still what would be regarded as harsh climatic conditions. Um, this, this area generally receives very little rainfall. Uh, it's, it's arid. Um, you can imagine that the annual average rainfall received in Marisabit County uh, is between one point five to less than ten inches uh, of um, that is you know, using rain gauge. But yeah, that's very little. You know, and they can go for years without without rainfall. And to worsen the matter, the, most of these areas have. Uh, water table which is which would be more than a thousand feet deep so it makes the way of life very hard and so uh, even more difficult for the foreigners I remember meeting up with a missionary in at a place called um, Gurunet that's in uh, uh, Lysamis sub-county, Marsabit County, and he said that he spent about 75% of his time trying to live and only 25% of his time doing what would be regarded as gospel work. And trying to live means that he is having to look for either water or food, having to travel all the way to Is Hulu, this is like 200 or so kilometers away uh, to find a reasonable shopping center. Um, You know, fixing his car or something like that. Just trying to leave. So the area is known for harsh climatic conditions. Then it's generally sparsely populated Because of the severe living conditions, there are very few people living here. The population growth rate is also very small, and so people are few and live far apart. Making evangelism very difficult, because it requires a means of transport in order to reach different people. Um, When we go to Marisabit on a mission, It could be that from one village to the next would be not less than 15 to 20 minutes drive, and you still have to know where they are. It's not like you're going to, you know, if you went to a a county like Kirinyaga, you don't need to be told where people are. Uh, You would see. Now, the people tend to hide themselves. The villages or the goobs are very hidden. Uh, you don't really uh, see them on the road or by the roadside. And even when they are, because their hearts are fairly, well, I would say successfully camouflaged, it's very difficult to see them unless you have been told there is a village in the next uh, two kilometers to your right. And then you have to turn into the bush, and if you didn't have a a, a good car, then you might not even get there because of the gullies and stones and all that. So it's not very easy to uh, access some of the villages. And then you go there, first of all, because they've never seen a car, they all would scatter and disappear for a moment, wondering what is this beast that has come to a village. I'm speaking the- So it's very uh, underdeveloped as well. Uh, The government has generally neglected these places just like the missionaries did. So very few uh, government facilities. Uh, In some of these places, they would only have a school when we start one. Um, there would be no road. It isn't until about uh, three years ago, I think it was, that a place called Tarakit in uh, West Pokot, this is Kachaliba sub-county, had the first road ever. And this is a, a very highly elevated uh, place. It's on a, on a hill. We had began a school there, but even carrying the, the, the school supplies had to be done by people carrying them on their backs. You can you imagine if someone were to be sick in that place, how do you even get him down to the clinic? You, you can't imagine that. Just three years ago, they got the, the, the upgraded road. Otherwise, you only had paths through trees and bushes, and uh, it's it's a very steep uh, hill or mountain. So no education, no health or medical um, amenities, no road, nothing. And then you talk about insecurity and uh, hostility of the people in these areas. Um, Up until very recently, when you would get to a place called Merili, this is in uh, Samburu uh, County, on your way to Marsabit, you would find a police barrier, and then you would go write your name, and it's basically like you were signing that you're going to die you, you write your name uh, and then you go when you come back you think that you've come back yes uh, the the body tree there and you know, of course there is still cattle rustling uh, about uh, five years ago we went to a place called katilu in trokana county and uh Just having driven to the village from the main from the main road, uh, some people had been attacked, and uh, two young boys who were going to university were killed. They were shot dead. Just a few hours after we had passed through the same the same place. Uh, Recently, when we went to Trokana and used um, the, what do they call it? Anyway, you, we, we used a, a, a route that is very insecure and suddenly our vehicle broke down that, that place. Uh, you know, it's very scary. So the insecurity makes people scared of having to go there uh, and take the gospel. But there are still gospel efforts in those areas. Thankfully, there are people who do not count their lives as precious to themselves. They, they go and make Christ known in those areas. So if you went to a place like uh, Kor, which is 70 kilometers away from the main road, uh, that is Isiolo Marsabit Road and going all the way to Moyale, uh, 70 kilometers east, more would be southeast of um, Marsabit. Um, you would find a number of churches have established local churches there in Kor. Uh, there is uh, there is AIC. There is uh, ourselves Trinity Baptist Church. There is a a full gospel church, and as you would expect, there, there is a, a Catholic church. Um, but even getting people to go to the, church, uh, to the church, you're talking of villages scattered so far away, and finding their way to those churches is still difficult. Um, so those are some of the difficulties or reasons why the gospel is still quite um, not as as, as spread out in these areas as, in, as the rest of the country. When you go to the coast, um, especially Kwale, uh, not the major area, not, not towns like, you know, um, uh, Diani or Lungalunga, Lunga, but interior into the villages, you'd find that uh, these places are barely reached with the gospel, then you go to the islands, and no one is going there. No one; they don't even know that there is such a thing as Christianity. They are content to just wake up every day, fish, send the fish to the to the towns, and that's it. Um, if you remember, uh, Johanna Mugo, uh, he was here with us not so long ago. He's been going to those islands with the gospel, and you can't imagine the ignorance. That they have. You would assume that they are very Islamic. Not really. Uh, they look like, like uh, Muslims, but really they are not. I've had the privilege of speaking to uh, uh, a cab driver in Mombasa who was, you know, in council, white council, and you would think that he is a Muslim. Only for him to tell me that the last time he stepped uh, into a mosque was more than 10 years ago. So you can very easily assume that these are um, Muslims, but no, they do not even know anything. So whenever the Lord gives us opportunity to share the gospel, don't assume that those
2: people are hostile to the gospel. Is there any comment there then?
0: Because the question is, what are we really doing individually and as a church to take the gospel to these people? You know, Matthew 24, verse 14 says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. This is what the Lord said. This gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world world, as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. So what are we doing? We're just content to wake up every morning and uh, go to work, make money, live comfortably. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Can easily be our motto, but we need to ask ourselves these hard questions: What are we doing as a church to get the gospel across to these communities? Some years ago, we sent out a missionary to work amongst a community called Malakote. Now there would. They would prefer to be called Walungwani uh, or Munyoyaya. This is in Tanariva County. And this man, having been sent there for 17 years, you know, we assumed that he was ministering to these people. He was going out to them with the gospel. Only for us to discover that he was not doing anything He was not doing anything at all for 17 years. One Sunday morning, we turned up to go and find out what really was he doing. Because we had made uh, a few visits there, and uh, no one seemed to know him as a pastor or as a preacher of the gospel. And that was alarming to me. You know, we go from one shop to another, and no one really knows what he does. And no one is calling him a pastor. No one is associating him with the Christian faith. Then one day we decided we'll just turn up there on a Sunday morning. And uh, from here to that place, um, Idzoe, this is uh, uh, on your way to Lamu, just before Mpeketoni. We arrived arrived there at uh, 11.30 a.m. And guess what he was doing? He was in his shorts, shirtless, topless, lying on his back, listening to insecure, secular music on his radio at 11.30 a.m. And the first question he asked me was, where are you coming from? Why did you come without telling us? You know, it was as if he would have a and call for us. He was horrified that we had turned up without telling him, and so he did not gather people quickly to come and be the church. This is what happens. And here we are thinking that we have our efforts amongst the Malakoti people. I've been there four times. he never took me once to talk with the Malakotis not once. So, you would think that uh, we wouldn't make such kind of mistakes. You know, said a missionary, he was not a missionary at all. But the way as we speak, he's a missionary in Malindi. He's planting a church in Malindi, but I don't believe that he's doing
2: anything. So,
0: you can think that uh, um You know, people would go there with Christ's interest. And this is someone who had been trained here at our Trinity Pastors College. He well knew the gospel, but that's what he chose to do. To lie on his back, sit on his laurels, and not proclaim the gospel of our Savior. And for 17 years, we financially supported him. We prayed for him. We visited him.
2: but we were taken for a ride for all those years.
0: Well, let's talk about uh, ecumenicalism in Kenya. That is the unity between various denominations, uh, which has long been advocated as one of the ways of uh, Christians uniting and going to these places with the gospel. So you're talking of um, the National Council of Churches of Kenya, NCCK, and uh, Evangelical Alliance of Kenya, amongst other uh, organizations that would be ecumenical in nature. Um, And then there is, of course, the...
2: uh, What is called the... Um, is it the Catholic bishops?
0: There is an organization amongst the Catholics as well. But the point I'm making is that um, this has been fronted as one of the ways of getting the gospel across more, most effectively. That people will see our unity, And uh, be drawn to Christ. Um, Whereas there is a place for working towards harmonious relationships uh, uh, within churches with a view of hopefully uh, a more organic unity, Um, yet we must realize that ecumenicalism by itself could be. A great hindrance to the spread of the gospel. Because you assume that so long as there is a, a church in a particular area, uh, then that area is rich with the gospel. But then you find out that it could be they're not really proclaiming the gospel of our, of our Savior. Um, efforts such as education, provision of education, uh, by different churches could be one of the areas that the church, various churches and denominations have explored of spreading out the gospel. And so there is a place of ecumenicalism in that if one church establishes a school in one area, you can go to a different area. But still, that is not really spreading the gospel. Yes, it does reduce competition and all, but would we be on the same page insofar as the truth is concerned, because that should be and must be the underlying factor. So let me very briefly talk about NCCK. Um, the, in 1943, KMC changed its name to Christian Council of Churches of Kenya, CCK, uh, so as to accommodate and missionary organizations. Then in, in 1966, CCK changed its name and became the National Christian Council of Kenya, NCCK, to reflect its national outlook. Uh, In 1984, the name further changed to National Council of Churches of Kenya, indicating the membership of the council was by churches and organizations and not individual Christians. This ecumenism body admits only Protestant churches, including independent churches into uh, into its membership. According to their website, there's a membership of 25 member churches and 11 associate member members and six fraternal, or associate, uh, fraternal associate members. Now they say that they provide a forum for member churches and organizations to act on common issues, to support and sharpen each other in service and Christian witness. Through NCCK, the membership seeks to facilitate the, attain, the attainment of a united just, peaceful, and sustainable society. Uh, The normal day work of evangelism, teaching, pastoral care is carried out by member churches and organizations, not by MCCK. But their mission is to promote fellowship and ecumenism, nurturing a common and understanding of a Christian faith and mission, building the capacities of its membership, enhancing the creation of a just and sustainable society and upholding its corporate health, identity, heritage, and sustainability. Those are their objectives. Um, NCCK has played a major role in religious and social political scene in Kenya, whereby the organization has provided education, both secular and religious to its members, as well as the public. Uh, They began a high school, Alliance High School, Just has been performing very well nationally, is one of them. St. Paul Seminary, which is now a full-planned chartered university among other institutions. But the question then is, why are we not members of NCCK? Why are we not members of NCCK, tell us? Yes? What do you think is the reason that TBC is not a member
2: of NCCK?
0: Perhaps I could mention EAK and then you can uh, respond because you're also not members of EAK, that is Evangelical Alliance of Kenya. Now again, uh, let me just quote from their own website. Uh, The Evangelical Alliance of Kenya is a national umbrella organization for evangelical churches in Kenya. It was established in 1975 as Evangelical Fellowship of Kenya under the auspices of the Association of Evangelicals in Africa and Madagascar, AEAM, which has since changed its name to Association of Evangelicals in Africa, AEA. The Alliance currently has a membership of 52 denominations. So to that extent, it's bigger than NCCK, most of which have a national presence that are spread throughout the country. The total membership of the evangelicals is estimated at 10 million in about that 8,000 congregations and make up approximately 32% of the Kenyans the Kenyan population. So some of the member churches of the EAK would be Africa Gospel Church, Africa Inland Church, Redeemed Gospel, Agape, Baptist Churches of Kenya, SITAM, Deliverance, among others. While CCK would have um, uh, Anglicans, Methodists, uh, Presbyterians, and such. So then why are we not interested in the membership of any of those two big entities in Kenya? Yes, Dennis, you're going to say
2: something. Uh, The first one I think is basically the issue of doctrine across the in all those churches that you have mentioned, these different beliefs, and we have our own beliefs. Uh, Mary would like to respond.
1: Um, Thinking about church governance, I tend to think that those councils play a major role in how the churches are governed. And TBC believes in the governance of the church within the church itself.
0: Mm, Yeah. Most of these churches uh, who are in NCCK would not be congregational. They would tend to be episcopal in their understanding of uh, governance. Of course, except for PCA, which, even though they would function um, as PCA, they would really put a lot of emphasis on their
2: national leadership. So, yes. Another reason? Uh, Mike? Uh, I think the other reason uh, would be our confession of faith. uh I don't think we would uh relate with them in 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 the same confession of faith. Um I've had <coughs> close interaction with the uh, especially the leadership of EAK. Um I worked for for Liberty Insurance and one of my colleagues um helped us get to closely to to the leadership, and um, how the leadership of EAK works, uh, the kind of um, corruption I saw in it, I don't think we would also relate to them in that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: OK. Yes, Zosan. Uh,
2: <clears throat>
3: National ecumenical organizations around the world tend to be more political mm. than evangelical they're while they may have originally started back in the day as a way to promote Christ, they end up being about politics and power, yeah in many ways about having showing how how much power, and that's probably where a lot of the eighty percent of Kenya is Christian. Figures come from us from these councils saying, well, we've evangelized all these people and we've done all this, and so they're just counting it rather than mm. saying, rather than actually looking at how the country is actually relating to Christ. That's right, yeah.
2: Uh,
0: Brother Doug, I know you also work with them a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes?
2: Yeah, just to add on to that uh, point, Uh most of these organizations are political vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we believe that uh, the church will run independently from the government. Right. Uh, mm. So one of the things that led to evangelical Alliance of Kenya is uh, uh, when our, our second president realized that the NCCK had too much power uh, he actually uh, instigated a break from, AIC breaking from NCCK, uh, just to check their powers. Um, so, yeah, yeah. yeah,
0: that's right. <clears throat> I'm waiting for someone to cite our constitution. What does our constitution say? Are you familiar with the uh, the 16th uh, part of our constitution uh, what does it say uh, tito
1: and no, it says this we acknowledge no ecclesiastical authority other than our Lord Jesus Christ. He, exercise, he exercises his authority through the elders of the local church who themselves are under the authority of the Bible, the Word of Christ. Therefore, <clears throat> sixteen one. we will not enter into any Affiliation that makes Trinity Baptist Church to be under any other ecclesiastical authority. We may cooperate with other like minded churches in matters of mutual interest. We may seek the counsel of other churches, but that counsel may not necessarily be binding upon the church. We may enter into membership of an association of churches upon the recommendation of the elders and the approval of the church.
0: Right, so what do you make of that part of our constitution? Why are we so um, inward-looking? Why are we just by ourselves, even secluded? Why
2: is that? Are we being biblical here? Yes
0: What do you have to say about that that part of our constitution
2: Yes Mike I think we recognize that we are under the headship of Christ mm-hmm. and Christ alone Yeah so regardless of any association that does not identify with this, then uh, I think, in a sense, I would say we are selfish in the sense that we are looking inward, but then that would be honoring Christ. Right. Mm.
0: Uh, From the scriptures, do we know of any any organization uh, that is above a local church? because that's what these ecumenical bodies end up being. They become bigger than the churches that they purport to represent, and they can actually tell you what to do and what not to do. So that even if the Lord said uh, otherwise, you would have to bow to their own whims, even when it's unbiblical. But we are not... uh, by ourselves, so to speak, we are not secluded because we believe not in ourselves being a denomination or uh, becoming part of another denomination or joining another ecclesiastical body, but we believe in associating with other like-minded churches in the form of association. And there is a huge difference between association and denomination. So in denomination you have uh, one head office, uh, one leader who might be seeking to oversee the churches. But we believe that the oversight of a local church needs to be exercised through the officers of that church. The elders are the ones that the Lord has appointed to exercise oversight of a church. But then uh, there, are, uh, there are projects or ministries that may be beyond the scope of one local church. That's where cooperation between like minded churches comes in and uh, you perhaps may raise uh, a church planter and another church helps in financially uh, setting him out uh, to go and plant a church or it could be an establishment of a theological training institution like our Trinity Pastors College. It's all, be- that, that is also beyond the scope of one church. So we cooperate with like-minded churches to be able to train men for gospel work. And uh, that's where the membership of an association becomes crucial. And so we are part of the Reformed Baptist Association of Kenya, which will be hosting the annual general assembly this year, right here uh, in October. And uh, even based on the brethren who come and minister to us from our pulpit, from other churches, shows that we have not, not secluded ourselves. We, we do believe in being in fellowship with other like-minded uh, uh, churches. So then let us review the impact of Christianity on on the Kenyan society. The Christian church might be described as having had a tremendous impact in the country and in the society based on the various institutions and organizations that have been established by churches. If you look at uh, schools, if you look at uh, hospitals, Tertiary colleges, even universities, you would say that the church in that sense has had tremendous impact. Very few communities in Kenya would would have zero impact from churches uh, directly based on the provision of some of these social amenities. But what is the gospel impact of the church? and the influence of Christian living in Kenya. Yes? Because the church seems to only think in terms of development of uh, these social facilities. Is Christianity about building schools and establishing hospitals and building resorts and? Universities—that seems to be the craze amongst churches now. Or is this then a way by which the church can, you know,
2: uh, subdue the earth?
0: This is something that we learned from uh, from the missionaries. You know, they came, and they were not only establishing churches, but education centers of excellence, they would say. They provided health. We praise God for that. And we all delight in going to Gijabe Nation Hospital, don't we? It's a good hospital. You know, we go to Tenuek. uh, We go to Chogoria. We go to Tumutumu. Love those hospitals. They are good mission hospitals. But is that the primary work of the church? Should we be clamoring or raising funds to go and build a hospital there in Korn or in Lekuchula or in Lositan? Is that what we should be doing? Should we put up a hospital in Katibu, in Tokana? Yes. What is our missiology strategy? The Catholics would say that we want to set up hospitals and, 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 and education centers, schools, and we would be ensuring that they hear the mass every day. Suddenly, the Christian influence is not deep-rooted because the country still continues to grapple with corruption in the government institution, even in the ecclesiastical institutions, there is corruption. Public institutions have not been spared even though most of these men in power went to these mission schools. You ask where they went to school. Oh they went to they went to Kabarak. They went to these to Alliance. They went to and so many other church-sponsored schools, they had the gospel there, did they not? So why are we not then seeing any change in our society? Why is it that these very men have only become educated corrupt officers? You find that some of them are well involved in their own local churches. They are uh, leaders in these churches. They are even elders in their churches, deacons. What is the problem with our country? You can even say that from the very time when the missionaries came, uh, The church helped the country, uh, the church divided the country into tribal lines. And it's not surprising to find the church just being tribal as the rest of the country is. I wouldn't be surprised if you went to an AIPCA church this morning in any part of this country, uh, this uh, city, and you find that their service is in Kikuyu. True? this year would do the same, unashamedly. I mean, until very recently, the Methodist church in, uh, uh, in um, right next to Sarai used to have Kimeru service in the city. You know, you, you wonder then how is the church changing this society? So this shows that there is still a lot of work to be done if the church hopes to shape the public opinion and influence our country with the gospel. In Nairobi, where we live, there are thousands upon thousands of churches, with most of them in uh, slum areas. Many of these churches are only churches because they call themselves, but In real sense of the word, they're not functioning as churches. They are run by a single person, and he does whatever he pleases. In other cases, there is no difference between the church and the individual who leads it. Most of these churches are just there to make money, just like any other business. You had Maina the other day saying that he will close that kiosk. Because really it is his business. And then you find that the church leaders themselves are very, very ignorant, very illiterate of the gospel. They claim to have miraculous powers, especially to heal and deal with poverty and generational curses, as they call them. There's a lot of confusion going on. Those who have the ability to put on here their services may make much more money as they ask people to send money to their empress accounts. Very little biblical teachings go on in these churches. They are almost unanimous that no preaching of the true gospel must take place. We will do everything else but preach the Bible. We'll do everything else. And so I remember a friend of mine, Chris Gatihi, having been invited to a church in Gong about 10 uh, or so years ago. You know, we, we sent him there with a lot of eagerness and excitement, praying for him. He sat there, my dear brother, waited, and he waited, and waited for his chance to preach. And then they forgot, oh, we had a visiting preacher. And then they whispered in his ear that he only had five to ten minutes to tell them what he wanted to say. But he, it was a very small appendage of the service. They had been together for like two and a half, uh, two and a half hours, which seemed to craze like two and a half years. And... He felt very tortured, very persecuted, very uncomfortable. Then he had 10 minutes to preach. Anyway, you need to get hold of him and find out what he preached for five to 10 minutes. Being a faithful man, he was going to obey that, but anyway. So there is this unanimity amongst too many churches in this city and in this country that we must not preach the gospel. So as a result, there is a great spiritual need to preach the word constantly, to do evangelism, and do so with fervency and zeal, and as much as possible to seek to establish gospel Minded, Christ exalting, God glorifying local churches. We have to be deliberate as a church to plant churches in every corner of this country, God giving us grace. We need to ask ourselves individually what am I doing with what I know? What am I doing with what I know? Because you'd find that the average colleague at work does not know a fifth of what you know. They are content to go for these lunch hour meetings and spend their money that way. They are happy to to go to church to be entertained. They are happy to go to church to bow their knees to their spiritual leader. They're happy with that arrangement. What are we doing? What are you doing yourself? How much do you pray for this country? This morning I will be preaching from Romans 9. And Paul says that I am in great sorrow and unceasing anguish for my brothers, my kinsmen. Is that our attitude to this, to this country? I mean, how many of your own parents? Siblings, uncles, aunts, that you know who are caught up with a worrisome, who are caught up with uh, this Mackenzie guy. How many? Brethren, let me tell you this last week, we had a man here. He worshiped with us. And he told us that on the 23rd of March, this year, his wife took their four children and went to Shakahola. As at last Sunday, as at Monday, as at Tuesday, he still did not know the fate of his four children. Yes, his wife has been found thankfully alive, but who knows whether the children are alive. So we might say that happens there, you know, with other people. But we ourselves know people who have been caught up in this heretical teaching. And we can't wish these heretical teachings away if we are just going to keep quiet. The attitude of Isaiah to grab us where he says, in Isaiah 62, he says, For Zion's sake, I will not keep, quiet, uh, keep silent. For, si- for Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet, until her righteousness goes forth, as brightness and her salvation, as a burning torch the nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. And then Paul picks up that in Romans 9, and this is what he says. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow, and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. How many of us have that attitude? When you look at the doctrinal heresies and the materialism of our day and the denominationalism and the political uh, maneuvers that go into all that. How can we keep silent? How can we live as everyone else when we know that these people are constantly drinking the poison of heresy every, every Sunday? It must cause that great sorrow and unceasing anguish. More about that in an hour's time. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we have been hearing of how you sent men into Africa, beginning with Mark, John Mark, preaching to a cobbler in, in Egypt. And over the years, the Christian faith has been spreading in Africa. Yes, there was a time of intense persecution, and even an attempt to exterminate the Christian faith. Lord, in your sovereignty, you stood with your people, and there has never lacked 7,000 of your elect in this continent who have not bowed down to Baal. And we know then that even in this country, even those who may not necessarily call themselves reformed, there are many who love our Savior, who love your word, who proclaim the gospel, who live in holiness, and who walk in uprightness of heart. O Lord, we pray that as you revived our Lord in the past, would you not revive us again, O Lord? Would you not cause your name to be loved in our nation? Would you not show yourself gracious and mighty to save as you raise up laborers For the gospel, oh Lord, we pray that there would be many in our midst who would be willing to go and make Christ Jesus known. For you've told us in your word, and this gospel shall be proclaimed in the world world as as a witness to the nations. And then you have told us the end will come. It should be in us to want to do all we can to hasten the coming of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. For then, only then shall we be in your kingdom where righteousness dwells, where sin cannot molest, where there will be no pain, no tear, where your glory shall be our light. Lord, we look forward to that day. We pray that you may give us a new desire to wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in glory. So help us, Lord, as we think further about this and meditate on the situation around our land. For We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you so much. It's been a wonderful four weeks of considering this. I hope this has been a, of profit to your soul and would revive you to consider what you could be doing more with your time and with your money and with all that you are for the glory of God. Thank you.